This morning we're starting in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at it in three weeks from, well, three different aspects of it. We're going to look today at God and the gospel. Next week will be creation. Uh, and then the third week will be humanity. And there's going to be some overlap. And so bear with me. This is a uh, little long, so please be patient and attentive to God's word this morning. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water from the expanse and the, from the water above it. Sorry, water under from the water above it. And so it was. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And so it was. And God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And so it was. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in accordance with their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights, and in the expanse of the sky, to separate the day from the night, And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And so it was. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern or rule the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. He set them in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the sky, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, everything according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, Creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind, and so it was. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, 
And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed on it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he made and that it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, We ask that you who said, let there be light, shed your light into our minds and hearts, that we might understand and believe what your word declares to us. And as we focus on uh, what this text says about you, may we be encouraged, convinced of your willingness and ability, not just to create, but to save that which you have created. Be merciful to us on account of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I am probably not your typical uh, person that went to high, the college, rather. Uh, it's legendary, almost, to hear about evangelical students who go to college, hear about evolution and lose their faith, or hear about philosophy and lose their faith. I was the kid who didn't have any faith, went to college, and found it. And part of how I found it was in studying evolution. And pondering some of the great questions that arose from that. And I led to, I was led, so to speak, to kind of go, you know, it takes a lot to believe that this just happened. More than it takes me to believe that someone made it happen. And of course, at that point, I was only a theist. I was only someone who believed in intelligent design before there was such a thing called intelligent design, uh, which is now all the rage. As I was reading for this week, there was a question that came up in one of the books, and I kind of turned it around in my mind and made it into a very different question. And that question is, is God the creation of faith or the creator of faith? That's really what this text is about. Is God someone that we have created to make sense of our world, or is God the one who gave us faith that we might understand how he made the world? And some of us will approach this text with the former, perhaps. And our prayer is that you will become one of the latter, seeing that it is he who created, and now you have faith. In him, as a result. The big idea of the text this morning is that as Lord, God is present in power and authority to save through the gospel. 
The context for Genesis 1 is that it was written by Moses. It was written to the Exodus generation precisely to explain to them, we're not sure whether it was before they left Egypt or after they left Egypt, but to explain to them why it was important for them to go to Canaan. And he starts with God. For very important reasons, which we're going to touch on briefly as we go through this. The first part of this that I want to, to, to look at this, and I think it's very helpful uh, from John Frame to, to understand some of these things. You see that he mentions that the Lordship has three aspects to it. God has power, God has authority, and God is present. And so that's how I'm going to kind of break it down this morning. And as Creator, God has the power to save through the gospel. Scripture begins, unlike most scientists and philosophers, with the reality of God. You see, we try to you know, prove the existence of God, and Moses never proves the existence of God. He just lays it out there. In the beginning, God. For him, God always was, always is. Always will be. There was no reason to prove it. It was a fundamental assumption that he makes. And to be honest, everybody has fundamental assumptions that they make. Christians aren't the only ones. Okay? Some people's fundamental assumption is that there is no God. But for Moses and for, for those who believe, there is one. That's why scripture starts there. The existence of God is assumed. And now let's focus on who he is. Genesis 1 puts... God's power or control on full display for us to see. Because remember, we weren't there, were we? Neither were the scientists who tell us that there's a different way it happened. Okay, There's no one who was there unless, as I believe, God was there. Okay? We see his power revealed firstly by the fact that he creates... By speaking. Kind of interesting that Moses goes there and brings this up. Speaking, it's one of the simplest things we do, isn't it? Kind of easy for us, most of us anyway, to speak. Not too easy for Eli to speak just yet. But it's easy for us to speak. And yet, the simplest of things, Scripture says, that is how God created everything that is. By speaking it. Into existence. If there was an easy button there, I imagine it would have been pushed. Because it was that easy for God to create the heavens and the earth. It required little to nothing from Him to do this. Something that seems unimaginable to us was easy for Him. Scripture here uses two words for create. The first word that it uses in verse 1 that we also find in verse 21 and verse 27 is the Hebrew word bara. Don't worry, there won't be a test on it. But this is the word that is only used of God. When you look through the rest of the Old Testament, the only time this word is used is when it's God does it. God creates. Because it points to a kind of creation that only God is capable of doing because it talks about to initiate the existence of an object. It's to make something be. And there is no one else but God who can make something be. 
there's a little joke I came across on the internet recently, and it was about, imagine Darwin talking with God, having a debate about how creation uh, came to be, uh, why the universe is as it is, and Darwin said that he could do it, and God said, okay, give it a shot. So Darwin goes and he gathers a bunch of dust and dirt and he starts to fashion something and God says, no, 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 wait a minute. Use your own dirt. (laughs) This is what Hebrews 11 is talking about. That God created what is from what wasn't. Ex nihilo is that old... uh, Latin phrase, out of nothing God created. And so this word bara implies this out of nothing. The second word, which is more common in this text and was used not just of God but of people, is asha. And again, don't worry, not a test. But it has the idea of to fashion or to shape, to take an existing object and make something else out of it. It's what uh, Steve Jobs does all the time with Apple computers. He takes pre-existing matter and rearranges it and gets it into something else. We do this all the time. This is what artists do. And this is what God did. He made everything, and then the rest of this chapter is him shaping that. And then he makes some things as well that didn't exist from that matter. Not only do we see God's power displayed by creating through something as simple as speaking, but we see that he divides the elements of creation. He separates light from darkness. Anybody here able to do that? Aside from turning a switch? There was no switch to turn. God did it to separate light from darkness. Sea from sky. Anybody here able to do that one? Sea from land. These things that are, from our perspective, immovable and unchangeable, He did. He formed. He fashioned. He also divided. We can't control any of them, and yet he is able to do that which we cannot even imagining doing. So that's another element of his power on display. But there's a third one that is there, in that not only does he create and divide, but he also blesses. Now we kind of, someone just sneezed, and what do we usually say? What do we mean? We've lost sort of the the Hebrew understanding of blessing. And it's sort of a, I hope it goes well with you kind of thing. You know? We're going to touch more upon this, especially in uh, the third week when we talk about humanity. But blessing, from a scriptural perspective, is empowering. And so when God is blessing elements of his creation, he is empowering them to fulfill the task for which he has created them and calls them. He empowers the animals to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. He's going to empower his people to rule and subdue. So when God blesses, he empowers, he communicates some of his own power to his creatures to do that which he commands them to do. And so, as we look at this, if you were, you know, in Moses' day, okay, you're looking at Egypt and going, I am enslaved by the world power of the day. How can I get out of this situation? Is there someone big enough and strong enough to deliver me from my bondage 
to this world power. And what Moses is saying is, oh yeah, (laughs) cannot he who made all that you see deliver you from what he made? Or as Isaiah would say, is the arm of the Lord too short? Of course not. And so he has the power, the ability to deliver Egypt from their slavery. Not only that, but if we go beyond that into which that bondage and slavery pointed to, it pointed to our bondage to sin, and he is still able to deliver us from that. In fact, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul, aren't you ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul is concerned about the power of God in salvation, and the power of God is revealed in the gospel. The gospel is powerful to save God's people because it is his word, his good word, his good news. And so the gospel starts with God. It derives its power to save from him and from him alone. And we see that power on display here in Genesis chapter 1. And so God, who created the universe out of nothing, has abundant power to deliver sinners from sin. Second aspect of this. As creator, God has the authority to save us through the gospel. Power has to do with might. Authority has to do with the right to rule over someone or over something. Now, you and I, we have limited authority, at least some of us do. Uh, we have limited power, that's all of us. Uh, you know, sometimes we talk about my, my special dad powers. You, know, I got, you, you didn't know that, right? I have secret special dad powers. Um, my secret special dad powers are limited. Okay? I have authority over my children. Okay? Uh, it's a limited authority, but it's a very real authority over my children. I cannot command them to sin. That would be exceeding my God-given authority over my children. But what happens also is that I have very little, I have even less power over my children, meaning I can't make them obey. That's evident. (laughs) Almost every moment, it seems to me sometimes. There is limits to my super daddy powers. When it comes to God, there's no limit to his superpowers, nor is there a limit to his authority. He has authority over everything that he has created. That's what we see here. We see this in a couple of ways. And the first is we see it in that he names what he creates. He names day. But he names the light day and the darkness night. He names them. He names the sky. He names the seas. He names the land. In other parts of Scripture, we also see he knows the names of all the stars because he gave them their names. Okay? Naming in Scripture is a function of authority. You name something, or you're able to name something when you have authority over it. And so God is declaring his authority over the the sea and the sky, the land and the sea, the darkness and the light, when he names them. Which one of you can name my children? None of you, except my wife and me. 
Okay, they're under our authority. Just like I can't say, well, as, your, as the pastor of your church, I now have the authority to name your children. No, I don't. That would be exceeding my authority. I could suggest a few names, though. Um, but it's a function there of authority. Not just naming, but we see that he also assesses or evaluates what he creates. And we see him repeatedly saying, it was good. And then the last time, right before he stops his work and rests for a day, we say, he says, or he evaluates it as very good. Meaning that it was in accordance with its purpose, his intention. It, it all fits, it all meshes, it all jives. It's good. It reflects his own goodness as well. And so God has the right to assess, to evaluate his creation and see whether it's functioning properly and accomplishing the purposes for which he created it or if it's working outside of design. And because of what happens in Genesis 3, we see that most things are not functioning within design anymore, especially us. And he has the authority as the creator to judge and sentence our rebellion. Not only does God name and assess or evaluate, He also divides creation. Remember, Steve, you already talked about that. Yeah, I did. He had the power, but now we see He has the right, and when He divides it, He establishes the boundaries. There are places now where the sea does not go. There are limits to the day and to the night. He establishes their boundaries. And unlike us, usually they respect their boundaries. Yeah, they're floods. Like right now. But that's one of the aspects of his authority. Not only that, but he's the one who sets the heavenly bodies in space. Now, of course, there's some power involved there. Uh, I don't think any of you have ever moved a heavenly body and, and placed it somewhere. Okay, so there's power involved, but there's also authority involved because he places them as signs and gives them authority. The sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. He grants them authority because he has ultimate authority over them. And so we see... You know, if we go back to the original audience and the Israelites that are in or just out of Egypt, what we see as it goes through creation is they're talking about all the things that the Israelite, I mean, not the Israelites, the Egyptians worshipped. Ra, the sun god. I don't know the name of the moon god, but they had one. They had almost everything was a god. The Nile was a god. All of these things. And so what God is saying through this is that all those things that the Egyptians worshipped, guess what? There is a higher authority. One who is greater than them. And that is the one who is calling you to freedom from slavery. Now, we didn't talk about this because we didn't go into chapter 2, but if you want to poke in the the beginning of chapter 2, you'll see it. God also sanctified the Sabbath. He set apart a seventh day to be holy. And so it reveals that he has authority over time. He has authority over how we spend time. And he says, six days you work, seven day you rest. 
you worship, you be refreshed. Okay? He has the authority to do that. So as our creator, he has the right not just to do those things, but he has the right to be the redeemer or savior of what he created. And he has the right to declare how he will redeem it. And so when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the Great Commission, we see that God has the authority to set apart only one name by which people may be saved. Jesus Christ. I don't have that authority. But he does. Because he's the only one with the power to save. We see this Jesus at the beginning of the Great Commission. What does he say? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And so when we're called to go forth and bring the gospel to make disciples of all nations, we do this under his authority. Because he has it. Jesus has the authority to make all the gospel promises that we find in Scripture. And he has the power to keep all those gospel promises. So God has the authority to make the gospel the only way that sinners might be saved. All right, third thing. Presence. As creator, God is present to save us through the gospel. We have this little glimpse of the Trinity here. Not of the second person of the Trinity. We have that in the New Testament when we read places like John 1 and Colossians chapter 1. But we see the Spirit here. Pointing to this reality that the Godhead is one of is three. The Trinity. The Spirit. And the, the role of the Spirit, or how we see the Spirit briefly here, is hovering over creation. Kind of interesting. Has that, that idea of almost like an eagle hovering over a region, inspecting it, checking it out, making sure everything. And so we, we have this picture of an eagle or perhaps an artist hovering over his creation, trying to figure, okay, what do I do next? The spirit is there in creation. He broods over it. And you might go, okay, so? So we find that Scripture rejects deism. Deism, the notion that God created the universe and essentially walked away. That what God made was a closed system, meaning that there's all the parts are in it, okay, and, the, and, and he's not going to touch it anymore. Creation is done. He can go off to something else, and, and it will work as a sort of a perpetual machine or as a limited time machine, but God does not engage in what happens in this creation that he made. I thought of this along the lines of my builder, the guy who, the, the company that built my house. Okay. They built it, and now it's, they sold it, and now it's my responsibility. Okay. They're not going to come in and say, you know, Steve. We actually want to move this wall. I wish they would come and say, we want to put doors in your office. But it's not going to happen. Okay? 
They're not going to show up and suddenly, we've decided we're going to paint your house a different color. They're not going to do that. Okay? That's basically what the way the deist views creation. That God has made it, and now it's ours to, to do well with it, or destroy it, and whatever. That's how they view it. Scripture also rejects the opposite extreme, which is pantheism. Or, that big word, don't worry about it, no test on it, panentheism, which is the idea that God is in everything, as opposed to everything is God, which is pantheism. So if you want those little definitions for some, I don't know, tea party you're going to, there you go, write them down. Pantheism, everything is God. Pan means all. Okay? And panentheism means that everything, God is in everything. If you want an example of that, watch Avatar. That's basically what's going on on the planet of uh, Pandora. Okay? Fun movie, theologically bad. You can enjoy it if you want. I did. But it has this idea that, that God was in everything on the planet. And uh, they were all supposed to get in touch with it through the big tree. And uh, no. We see uh, scripturally that, that two things are going on. First, God is transcendent. Yep, another big word, sorry. And it has the, it's, it's the idea that God is separate from creation and God is above creation. Meaning, he has authority over creation. Okay? We see this in God's providence, both ordinary and special. He rules over creation. But not only is God transcendent, He is also imminent. He is also near creation. He is involved in creation. His involvement with creation doesn't end after the sixth day. Otherwise, we really wouldn't have any more of the book. Because the rest of it is how God is engaging Himself with creation. He's continuing to work in creation. He's imminent. He's near. He's present. And so we see this in the text as well with the idea that he sees, he observes creation prior to assessing it. He's checking it out. He's engaged and involved. And so we look at the gospel. We see that the gospel is powerful to save precisely because Jesus is present. How did he end the Great Commission? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the Westminster Confession of Faith that we were studying this morning, uh, the, the aspect on the church, it was talking about the effectiveness of the ordinances and the oracles and the ministry of the church. And where they derive their power, it says, from the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And so we're only effective in doing what we've been called to do because of the presence of Jesus amongst his people. And so we have great hope. In fact, that's what the whole Exodus was about, was that God had heard their cries and God came down and Moses was his representative to deliver his people. God has heard the cries of our sin. He has come in his son to deliver his people. So we can't really separate God as creator from God as redeemer. Because the very things that he reveals as creator are necessary for him to be redeemer. Well, 
Genesis 1 tells us of a God who creates, not one who is created by our imaginations. His power and authority are in full display in order to instill or create faith in us. To, to instill us with hope that it is this God who is revealed, who is able to save. But he also promises to be present to save all who follow after Christ by faith. Let's pray. Father, there is no one like you. For you alone are able to create everything out of nothing. And that should humble us, even as it glorifies you. You alone were able to form, to divide, and to set things in place. You alone have absolute authority over your creation, including us. That you name, you sanctify, and establish boundaries. But most of all, we are grateful that you are present in creation to accomplish your purposes, which culminate in the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, who became man to save people from the penalty of sin. And so I ask that you would make our hearts glad this morning as we contemplate the reality of the Creator, who is also Redeemer. Amen.